The following message is from the 2014 IBCD Summer Institute, Making Peace with the Past. Father in heaven, we thank you for this great privilege of not being condemned in your presence because of your foreknowledge, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, and the sprinkling of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have caused us to be born again into a living hope, a hope through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we pray that grace and peace may be multiplied to us just even in this little hour. And then, Lord, every time we open up the book of 1 Peter and we try to live it out and give it to others, that, Lord, you would bless us. Lord, there are deep things on our hearts that uh, we can't express at this point, but we do want to publicly express our gratitude to you for who you are in your consistency to us in Christ Jesus, in your Son's name, amen. Okay, the book of 1 Peter. Uh, we went over the first uh, section, which was chapter 1, verse 1. We went through to chapter 2, verse 12. And the basic overall theme of that was hope. An incredible hope. Now again, uh, as a reminder the class, who wrote Peter? Very good. Glad you didn't go to a liberal seminary because they'd probably try to teach you that somebody other than Peter wrote Peter. But it's right there on the page, okay? First Peter, Peter an apostle, okay? Now, uh, as I pointed out, the whole thing is tremendous in hope, isn't it? What was Peter like? Peter, uh, John MacArthur Jr. calls him the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth because, you know, he's constantly putting, What? Why, we've been fishing all night. You know, you can think of now You're a carpenter. You don't know. Like, well, okay, because it's you, we'll fit. Oh, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. What? You're not going to go to the cross. Peter, get behind me. Uh, oh, everyone else, will deny, everyone else might deny you, but not me. Not me. Oh, yes, Peter, before the night's over, you'll have denied me three times. Okay? And then, of course, the classic one is, God restores him, makes everybody know that he's still an apostle. You deny me three times, I restore you three times. And then he turns around and goes, well, what about John? John, that's none of your business. Mind your own suffering. Okay, you're going to get your martyrdom. Okay? What if I want him to, John goes, he didn't say I'm going to stick around forever. Okay, he, he just said, what if? Don't you know your conditional clauses? Okay, so... The bottom line is Peter. Just It's grace that he gets to write the book on what? How to face persecution and not cut ears off in the garden, but to come out smelling like Jesus Christ. So even, even he, it's just grace that he gets to write the book. And then we see in the first chapter, uh, you got this incredible salvation. Inflation can't touch it. It's reserved for you in heaven. Nothing can corrupt it. Ah, but what if I don't make it? Well, you're protected by the power of God because you've been what? By the triune God, the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. That work in you can never be reserved. And God is going to preserve you. And so, though you don't see him, you love him, you hope in him, this is incredible. And this salvation, on top of this, on top, on top of this, this salvation that you have, the prophets all were trying to figure out who it was. You get to see Jesus. You're in on the bottom floor. This is incredible. And on top of this, angels long to try to figure out why in the world would God die for these schleps? Okay? It's incredible. So he's building hope. Now why do I emphasize this? Because counselees and you and I do not change without hope. Without hope, you give up. Right? You give, why try? Why try? And it's not just, as, as Brian was talking, the general vanity of vanities. It's, it's uh, hey, I can't seem to make track. So this is incredible. Now, what does that mean? This is all that God's done. What's your response? Be holy. You be holy. Why? Because the God that you serve is going to judge you. 
not for salvation, but you know, you have to, you have to answer for your life. So be holy as he who has called you is holy. And by the way, the whole book is shot full of Old Testament quotations. You don't know your Old Testament, you won't understand the New Testament. You won't be able to counsel without the Old Testament. Okay? So you've got to understand that. And, and, and Peter uh, quotes this. And he says, look, you have been redeemed from the feudal lifestyle that you, uh, that you inherited from your forefathers. Now again, as I said in the first two seminars, remember, all Scripture is profitable for what? Teaching, rebuke, correction, train right. Think of all the stuff I'm saying in this life. How can I teach this? How does this rebuke my or my counselee's unbelief? How does this correct when we mess up? And how can we be trained to be more godly? So as we go through this real quickly. So he says, look, you know, Christ is chosen before the foundation of the world. And the obvious implication is, so are you. For you, he's the cornerstone. You're being built, chapter 2, into what? A holy temple for the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. Think of Paul in Ephesians chapter 2. Christ is the cornerstone. The apostles and prophets are you know, the foundation. And each believer is, is a living stone in that temple. Okay? And so people argue who this is written to. Is it just dispersed Jews? Is it Gentile? I think it's both of them. But it doesn't matter. The, what promises were made to Israel are now fulfilled in the church. We are the royal priesthood. We are the royal nation. We are the people of God. We who were not a people, are anybody Jewish? Every once in a while I get somebody that's Jewish. No, you're all Gentiles. And we don't think that that's really remarkable, but it is. The nations are gathered in. And, and so he's saying this. Okay, so now you're a chosen race. Okay, but you're what? You knew this of me, but I want to. You're an alien. You're a stranger. Okay? You're weird. Okay? You're not part of this world. Okay? And what he's trying to say, because remember, the whole book is saying persecution's coming. And how are you going to handle it? You, dear beloved, are what? Soldiers in the army of Jesus Christ, Marines, whatever you know, metaphor you want. You are units trying to get through this world without getting your legs blown off or ripped off by Satan or killed by the world. You are a fighting unit. And what Peter is saying is, don't think like a civilian. Think like a stranger who's fighting his way. So that's in verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, exiles, to abstain from passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when you speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds, glorify God in the day of visitation. So that was the first seminar. The second seminar was on chapters 2, uh, verses 13, where we'll start and go through to the end of chapter 3. And now, here Peter is saying, this is how you do it. Here's how Jesus got through this. Because you need to know, remember, two things about Jesus. One, Jesus is your mediator. Can I get an amen? You don't get into heaven without Jesus Christ pleading your case. You need him to die on the cross and you need him to mediate for you or you can't be in the Father's presence. Now, you know, there's no problem with God being upset and, you know, Jesus being loving, all that silly nonsense that there's a division between the loving God of the New Testament and the mean old God of the Old Testament. That's the pagan stuff that get into Noah's film, okay? The mean demiurge, you know? Oh, that mean God, you know, the one that was killing all those Canaanites, and oh, that's all that nasty stuff. No, that's Jesus, okay? I mean, Jesus is around. I mean, I, I can argue with you, I won't take the time, but, you know, who killed 185,000 Assyrians in one night? Jesus was the angel of the Lord. Best guess we have, the angel of the Lord shows up in the Old Testament. That's pre-incarnate Christ. I'll tell you my heresies or whatever. I think Jesus Christ was in the garden. I think that's who walked with Adam and Eve. No, you can't see God, but the pre-incarnate Christ. Christ killed 185,000 Assyrians in one night in answer to Hezekiah's prayer. 
That's the same Jesus that died on the cross. So we can't put those wedges, okay? So now, okay, we're aliens. We're fighting our way through. What is our response? Are we revolutionaries to fight governments and ordain God? No. No. Be subject to all these. Be subject to the, to the emperor. Remember, this is the emperor that's going to be killing them. Be, be subject to governors. And then he goes on and, and he's saying, slaves. And we took a lot of time, won't go back into it, but there's a key passage in counseling. Go through that well at the end of chapter 2. Because in a sense, everything hinges on how Jesus handled the persecution. How did he do it? He didn't revile. He didn't utter threats. How did he get through it? Oh, well, did he turn on a little tap and enter his divinity? No. He, as to his human nature, entrusted him to him who judges righteously. Jesus Christ, though he was sinless, had to constantly remind himself, Father, you're going to judge. It's in your hands. And that's what it says. You slaves, you know, be submissive even to the bad masters. What good is it if you do something wrong, you get a beating, you patiently endure it? If you do what's right and get beaten for it and patiently do it, this pleases God. Why? Because God likes you to suffer? Yes and no. He doesn't want you to suffer, but he wants you to suffer why? With Christ. And that's the whole theme of the book. You must suffer with Christ. And the sub-theme is don't suffer for your own stupidity and sin, but suffer for identifying with Christ. And we'll get to that in chapter 4. So he goes through, applies it to slaves with masters, then wives, husbands, and then generally, finally all of you have unity of mind, chapter 3, verse 8. And then he quotes a long quote from the Old Testament. Whoever wants to, uh, desires to see life and good days, why? Be a blessing. I don't know how we do it. I don't know how Vormbrandt did that in the Romanian prison when he, you know, and he eventually uh, formed the Voice of the Martyrs. I don't know how our, our brethren do it in North Korea. He's there in, the, you know, the, in Russia in the gulags. But everyone has had to learn. Bless those that persecute you. Bless and don't curse them. It's in God's hands. So he goes through that, and then he ends up, and then we'll pick it up here in chapter 4. Um, he gives you a, a theology of suffering. If you do what's right, and you're zealous for it, no one's going to punish you. However, if there is the possibility that God wants you to suffer for it, then it's better to suffer for doing good, if it's God's will, than for doing evil. So then he ends up with this difficult passage I explained. Um, he's talking about when Christ, through the Holy Spirit, preached in the days of Noah to the people whose spirits are in prison now. Uh, and then he talks about baptism as a symbol. Who's in the ark? The ark is Christ. Baptism now saves you. Not literally it's Christ that saves you, but symbolically. You're in the ark. You're carried through the flood of God's wrath just like the blood is put over the doorpost uh, during Passover, salvation. Why? For a plea, what does your baptism represent? It, ba it, it represents a plea to God for a clear conscience. I'm acceptable. Not on the basis of my works, but the works of what Christ has done. So that's where we end up chapter 3. So real quick. Okay, now let's read chapter 4 and go through. First thing you want to do, verses uh, 1 through 6, if you want to jot that down, Peter finishes up using Christ's example. Remember chapter 2. This is how he suffered. Now chapter 3. Uh, Christ has suffered, and he, he finishes this off. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. The time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles wanted to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead, for this is why, and again, another difficult, but this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. I think he means physically dead. Those Christians 
who have died in Christ. Uh, this is why the gospel is preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in or by the Spirit the way God does. Okay? So what he's finishing is, is okay, uh, Philippians 2, have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. Remember that? Who was, but this is a different slant. How does Jesus Christ think every day when he was here? Fighting sin. Fighting sin. And so he's trying to make this analogy. How did Christ live out his life? When he was here, he didn't come to do his own will. He came to do the will of the Father. And so if you're going to make it through persecution or your counselees, you have to put off the orgies and, and you know, gone back to the old stuff and do what? Arm yourself with this mentality. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. The new heavens and new earth are my destiny, and I can't get caught up here. Again, Brian, Ecclesia, time and place for everything. I'm in the world, but not of the world. I need to conduct myself always with an eye toward eternity. See, that's, that's what Peter is saying here. And beloved, that is so necessary when you work with your counselees, trying to get him or her or them to, to, to solve their problems. It's not enough for them to solve their problems or make the pain go away. They have to start thinking, how does this affect eternity? How does this? Am I living like Christ? And, and so, so that's... Uh, what you need to do. And in the midst of all of this, you have to remind the people, think like Jesus. And guess what? There's going to be people that make fun of you. Duh. Why? The world doesn't like you to be holy because what's it say? You don't even have to say it. If you're holy, then the world's going to come to a conclusion of what? Um, they're different. And so they're going to make fun of you. What's wrong with you? You're a prude. You're, this, you know, you know, you're not politically correct. You're not this, that, or the other thing. Okay? And, and they, you're nuts. Are you nuts? Yeah, I'm nuts. Yeah, I don't have sexually transmitted diseases. I'm not dying of an overdose. A few other minor things, you know, bother you. Okay? Uh, not to mention that. But see, he's saying, don't expect the world to pat you in the back. Yeah? Nobody likes the Raiders except the Raiders fans, right? Oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't mention that stuff, but okay. Right? You can't go to a Raiders game and come out alive if you have somebody else's jersey on. That's true for a lot of other sports teams, too. The bottom line is, if you were of the world, the world would approve of you. And so Peter's saying in another way, don't be surprised. Okay? Now he goes on in verses 7 through 11 of chapter 4. Now again, I hope you can see this. It can direct application to people that are wrestling with this. But you have to be convinced of this yourself. You know, if, if you're not armed with thinking like Christ, some of your counselees will turn on you. I don't know if you've ever had that happen. I've had that happen. Uh, and they, they attack you and they blame you. I had one woman who said, please go, uh, first pastor, please go see my husband. Why? He's living with another woman, you know, so I go see him, uh, and you know, I talk with him, and I probably was too blunt, you know, but I said, you got to come back to your wife. You have no biblical grounds for leaving. He wasn't a Christian, so he divorced her. She blamed me. She blamed me. Later, I think she got converted. She saw me later, and I said, you remember saying, oh, I never said, oh, yes, you did. <laughs> I got it burned on my forehead, man, what you said. It was my fault that your husband left you. Oh, I couldn't have said no. So yeah, yeah, you can't imagine saying it now because I think you've become a believer. But the bottom line was, you lost. You blamed me. But see, this purity of life and this mentality is part of your evangelism. Even before you open your mouth. Now remember, in chapter three it says, always be ready to do what? Give a reason. And a reasoned apology, apologetic, a, a reason for your belief, yet with gentleness and respect. 
gentleness and respect. Okay, so, so again, all these woving in here. Be like Christ. Why? Why is Christ uh, set a model for you? Because he's trying to say he's saving his people. And he wants you to reflect that redemptive grace to other people who don't deserve it. So they go, wow, these guys don't do this. Well, verse 7 down to 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. We're going to take a whole sermon on that. Why be sober? Look at the purpose of prayer. You cannot counsel without prayer. It's the core because God has to do the work. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Do you really believe that? Hey, I'm not going to make a federal case out of that because I'll absorb, I'll absorb the loss for that one. I'm not going to make a big deal about it. Love covers a multitude. And I think it's almost in terms of atoning. I'm going to atone for that one. I'll, I'll, bear, the, I'll bear the brunt for that and, and write it off on the account. Now, there are times when you can't do that. Remember, Scripture was Scripture. So wife can't go, well, he's committing adultery. You know, I'm supposed to forgive. So, no, no, that's a deal breaker. You know, the bottom line is love does cover to a multitude of sins. There's many things that people do to you that do not need to be brought up. They don't need to be, up, 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 Matthew 18. You know, some people get on Matthew 18 and that's it. That's the answer. As soon as you take a deep breath and they look cross-eyed, that's it, Matthew 18, I'm confirming. I'm going to, you know, off we go. I've had, hey, women are very logical at certain points. They're very, I think, people say they're not, women are very logical. Hey, didn't Jesus say that uh, looking at a woman is uh, adultery of heart? My husband's looked at pornography. I got grounds, I'm going to divorce him. Yeah. <laughs> Iron tight, you know, logic, but you see, love covers a multitude of sins. Okay, so. Uh, again, many sermons here. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I always smile at that one. Have you ever invited somebody over? They eat too much. Oh, there goes, there goes tomorrow's leftovers, okay? <laughs> right? You get people who are very generous, but they grumble, you know, in terms of, you know, uh, showing hospitality to other people. Um, and again, you could give these as assignments. As each has received a gift, Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that everything may be glorified, and everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory, dominion, forever and ever. Amen. There's a key. All biblical counseling, all biblical ministry is ultimately for the glory of God. The good of the other person, but the glory of God. So, going through this, as you examine this, uh, the end is near, so live in the light of what? Time is short. Now, it's hard to believe, but I used to be young. I am now old. I know I will not get another 68 years. I am on the backside of the mountain of life. And what is becoming more clear to me is the psalm. Teach me to number my, what? Days that I might present to you a heart of wisdom. Laying aside the weight and sins that so easily. You know, and the older I get, the more I realize I need to lay aside certain things that are not wrong but they are not really helpful in terms of life and ministry. And so, uh, in the light of eternity, and that, you know, Christ doesn't come for another thousand years. You know, I get in arguments with my brethren because we believe in a literal Bible. And they say, well, you don't believe that Jesus can return tomorrow. I said, no, I don't. Well, why not? I said, because Jesus said there's going to be some from every tongue and tribe and nation. And we know that at least there's 5,000 tongues left to get translated. So I know you think I'm a heretic, but I think Jesus is going to wait for at least 100 years. Uh, I don't know. He knows his timetable. But the point is, the point is, he's near. And if he's not coming back when the clouds of glory immediately, 
I'm out of here pretty soon. <laughs> and so, you need to sit down with people and say, prioritize. What are your priorities? And are you using your gifts? Do you have speaking gifts? Do you have service gifts? But you need to use those for other people. And again, that's one of the things that helps people in persecution is helping other people that are persecuted. And you see that in refugee camps and elsewhere. You know, where you get your eyes off of yourself and your problems onto other people and begin to help them. That, that's the real key. And so, there's a, again, there's a lot of rich stuff in here in terms of persecution. And so then he goes on uh, another passage on suffering here, verses 12 to the end. 12 to 19 in verse of chapter 4. Don't be shocked by suffering as a child of Christ in a hostile world. That's the norm. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial uh, when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is to be revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Now, how many of us think that? There's been a very few times in my life where that's happened, but it's happened. And I can tell you, it's one of the sweetest things in the world. Most of the time, I fall into this next category. I suffer because of my own stupidity and sin. Okay? Because the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, even as a meddler. Yet if someone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Remember when Peter and John came back? Everybody said what? Thank God we're being persecuted for the glory of Jesus. I mean, we consider a badge of honor that we are slandered for the sake of the name of God. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Just stop right there. You ever think of that? Who's going to be first in line during judgment day? The church, not the unbelievers. Of course, we pass only by the grace of God. But we go through judgment. And as I said before, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, I think that we're going to judge angels. So Paul says, don't you know that you're going to judge angels? So after we pass the judgment you know, through the blood of Christ and, and the rewards are handed out or whatever, then we sit in judgment with Christ over the fallen people. And all those people, let's talk about it. All these people are going to do what? They will get what they deserve from a holy God through the hands of his people. And so the judgment begins with us. We should be sober-minded people. If it begins with us, and then notice what it says, again quoting the Old Testament. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And quote, and then he quotes there, you know, from the Old Testament and from Proverbs. If the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Right? We just make it really by the skin of our teeth. We make it because of the righteousness of Christ. So if if we just sort of squeak through the judgment because of the mercy of God, what's going to happen to the people who are outside of Christ? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Notice that. Faith and works, right? Your heart has to trust in God, and then what do you need to do? Go do good. Okay? It's not do good, and then run back to God. Yeah. But notice how they go hand in glove. Entrust yourself. Okay, God, you're in charge. I leave it up to you. This goes for all kinds of people. Gals that have been molested and beaten as a kid. And, and this is important in counseling. I'll tell you one incident. Um, raise, your, raise your hand if you've heard it before because I keep telling the same stories. But Coming back from a NANC, now ACBC conference, years ago, coming back to San Diego, I get in a plane, in Atlanta, start flying west, and uh, I'm sitting on the aisle, and uh, there's a gal, two seats over, there's an empty seat in between. She turns out to be uh, a uh, therapist who has a practice with abused women, physically and sexually abused women. And, uh, oh, really? And her husband was a Navy psychiatrist, and very interesting. He said, well, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a Presbyterian minister. I don't like Presbyterians. I just met you. I didn't do anything to offend you yet. What in the world? 
And I said, well, why don't you like Presbyterians? Because you believe in hell. Obviously, it's not the United Presbyterian, the mainline church, you know, which is going apostate you know, very quickly. It was some Bible-believing Presbyterian. Oh, that's interesting. So we chatted a little bit, and I kind of backed off. But somewhere over the red states, you know, some Kansas or somewhere, you know, uh, we finally get talking, and, and uh, I said, Turner, I said, I hope you won't be offended, but uh, can I make a suggestion why you need the doctrine of hell? She says, why? I said, what do you say to these women? What if the guy never gets caught? What if he never, never gets punished? What if he never does time? You know, what if justice isn't done? At least I can say God will do to that man eternally in hell what is just and right. Now, I wish I could say she got down on her knees, asked Jesus to forgive her, but she didn't. But she said something I've never forgotten to this day. I never thought of it that way. See, because ultimately, ultimately, it, it comes down to everybody. You've got to entrust yourself to him who judges righteously. Why? Because that's the final judgment. And God's the one that meets out all the punishment. See, so this is the theme through the whole book, and it's good for people that are molested, that are beaten, uh, people who are ripped off in business, and we all have these you know, people who try to, you know, Knife us, I had a situation a long time ago, worked in a Christian context, somebody tried to get me fired, and I'm sitting there one day, and all of a sudden it comes to me, Scipione, you hot dog. Here you're complaining because you're a Christian, working with Christians, and someone's being unfair. What makes you think you can get through this life without somebody doing that to you when they did it to Jesus? And all of a sudden, I you know, almost started crying. I'm thinking I want better treatment than my Lord. He was sinless. I'm not. See? And, and so ultimately, ultimately, and there are some, I'll tell, I won't tell you by name. There are five particular people I pray for every day. Okay? There are people that ripped me off in the past, and I sinfully responded by ripping them back. And I'm telling you now, I pray for them by name almost every day. And they're all professing Christians who say, God, they're in your hands. I pray the best for them. I pray you'll help them to grow in grace, etc. I don't ever want to get the glory and have somebody look at me and say, you were bitter about this. Because in the long run, I got enough sin to begin with. Okay? And secondly, I can't end up being bitter. So... Let those who suffer according to God's will uh, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Memorize that. Have people look at that. And then also, as other pastors say, what can you do to that person? What kind of bombs of love and bullets of kindness, Romans 12, that you can do for that person? See how important this is. Well, let's go through five real quickly, and then we'll leave some time, hopefully, for questions. See, one of the reasons I want you to do this is to see how you can apply Scripture. I mean, you could, you could counsel a person almost on anything that he or she faces through the book of 1 Peter. You can do that for almost many book of the Bible. Some are better than others in terms of themes. Uh, certainly joy, Philippians. If you can't preach joy from Philippians, wrap it up. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, it's just, it's incredible, Okay. And uh, there's a lot of other passages, you know, that preach themselves. But Okay, so he goes on then to talk about the body. This goes for counseling staffs. This goes for individual congregations. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Notice, isn't that an interesting phrase? I, Peter, who failed, I am a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and I'm participating in that now, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Notice that. No pain, no gain, none of this name it and claim it without suffering. It's very interesting. Uh, the people that we are upset with, we should be because their theology is so wicked, but sometimes I think we like that. We're like that, right? God blesses us. We're right there. As soon as times get tough, what are we doing? We're like the, we're like the wilderness generation. 
mumble, mumble, mumble. Don't like the accommodations. Don't like the food. Don't like what you're doing. Okay? Uh, so, a uh, witness, a partaker in the glory that's to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples uh, to the flock. Now, there's a lot there for you as a counselor. Are you domineering over people? Are you doing it for financial or other gain? That doesn't work. If you're a leader, uh, if you're really discipling people, it's got to be because that's what God wants you to do. And attitude is very important, and so check that out. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those under your charge, but being examples of flock. It could be a whole seminar on that. How do you dominate people? Not just sexually, those kinds of things are obvious, but how do you domineer another person? You know, some people domineer others. To tell, me how, tell me how nice I am. You know, have you ever met people like that? I've met a few people in the pastorate. You know, after the first year, as Brian says, that's over. You know, uh, uh, I mean, as Ernie said, uh, that, that goes real quickly. You know, but if you're in it for the perks, you may not get the perks. But you can manipulate. So you don't domineer people. You do it for the Lord God. And what's the reward? When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now that, with the James parallel, you could do a lot on, with this. And you will need this in counseling. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. He'll exalt you at the proper time. Are you resisting God? And many of our counselees, we have to be gentle with them, but they're, they're not humble. They're really not submitting. I, I tried that, but it didn't work. Or uh, I'll get all torn to shreds. Again, remember the whole theme. Women, be submissive to your husbands, even if they're disobedient. But why? Don't give in to fear with anything that is frightening. Peter and the Holy Spirit are not brain dead. They know that submission is frightening when you're submitting to somebody that isn't very godly. It is impossible, humanly speaking, for a slave to submit to a slave master who's being unrighteous and beating him unrighteously. That is not something that is a human capacity. It's got to be from the Spirit of God. And so this whole thing, humble, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Uh, therefore, it goes, verse 6, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And again, the same thing. Casting all your anxieties on him because he, what? He cares for you. The love of God it's got to be, again, a bedrock. He, remember how Paul argues? He who slayed his own son. Is he going to jip you out of this? Think about it. I mean, think about Paul's argument. Duh. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. He paid all that debt, and he gave you his righteousness. He did all of this. You think he's going to jip you out of a husband? You think he's going to jip you out of, you know, what, what you think you really need? No. Humble yourself, therefore, on the mighty hand of God. For proper time, he'll exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him. Boy, I tell you, it does create anxiety to be kind and humble when somebody's trying to chop your head off. <laughs> Take supernatural grace. Be sober. Now, and, and can, we could go into spiritual warfare. The book was recommended back there. I haven't read it, but I'm sure it's good. Pallison's book on uh, spiritual warfare, uh, out of print now, but very good. Uh, what does he say? Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. What? Firm in your faith. And here's the key, I think, to spiritual warfare. How do you defeat Satan? 
Do you get some kind of stylized? In the name of Jesus, I rebuke you. No, look at the connection. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and what? He'll exalt you at the proper time. Resist the devil. You see the connection? Submission to God is resisting the devil. They kind of go hand in glove, and a lot of people think they're separate. Okay, It's not. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Do it his way, even facing this horrible persecution. And guess what? He'll exalt you at the proper time. Knowing what? That, that God will exalt you. But secondly, what? Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Do you understand that? I don't think we understand persecution here in the United States. Unless God does something, I think it's coming. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I think many of the guys that are here that are pastors may end up in jail just simply by preaching through the book of Romans. Don't take your stuff off of sermonaudio.com. Leave it up on the web. Yeah? And somebody will start checking it. The NSA or somebody else will start checking it and going, whoa, that's a hate crime. They actually believe Romans chapter 1. They actually believe 1 Corinthians 6. These people are not fit for uh, American human com consumption. Can it happen? Yeah. But this, this, friends, this is just like everyday stuff in the rest of the world. Yeah. And we've been really, honestly, theologically brain dead for, say, the last hundred years and not seeing this coming. Everyone's waking up now going, oh, this is terrible. They're taking away. Look, this started happening back in the 1800s when people stopped believing in the scriptures and started believing liberal German theology. It's been happening for well over 150 years and people didn't see it coming. So, uh, other people are doing this. Now, you say, well, that's no comfort to me when I'm in. Well, it is a comfort to me. You want to be identified. You know, how should I say it, if I can put it in street terms? There are peeps. Yeah, there are peeps. You know, the people that are in jail. They, hey, they're my brothers and sisters. It's not, Peter's going, wake up and smell the persecution. <laughs> this, this is nothing new. This happens to Christians everywhere. And you're going to go through it. Get ready for it. So, and after you, now here's the other thing. It doesn't last forever. It doesn't last forever, okay? And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that marvelous? Persecution won't last forever. I facetiously use that illustration uh, several times in this. Uh, my mom used to give me enemas. Yeah. She said, I'm trying to help you, son. I thought she was trying to kill me. She was about five. I could swear. Mom, you're going to make me explode. You know so, you know, so forever, I don't know if it's true or not, but they used to think that giving enemas would reduce fevers, right? Maybe they still do, but I, all I know is I thought mom was killing me, okay? You know, if I can use this gross illustration, don't tell my wife, please. But, you know, the enema doesn't last forever, okay? That's what he's saying. This suffering, you, you think you're going to die. It's not going to last forever because God knows exactly, like my mom, you're not going to explode, Okay? You'll live through this. And honestly, we all treat God, I think, like my mom. God, you're trying to kill me. No, he's not. No, he's not. He's trying to pound Christ into me. That's what he's trying to do. And I can't be like Christ if I don't go through what Christ went through because he suffered and I am no better than him. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to carry John the baptizer's uh, you know, sandals, let alone Christ. It's just for you Baptists to realize that you know, he wasn't a Baptist, but you know, and ba John the baptizer, okay? The bottom line is, you know, I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals, let alone Christ. But boy, if I want to be like Christ, I got to go through this. And he says, look, he's going to establish you. And that's the thing 
you know, that's why it's nice to be a woman and counsel women. You can I don't hold their hands. My wife is, is so different. You can be a woman and do it, it's, and it's wonderful. They sit next to each other and hold hands and huggy face and kissy bear. I don't do any of that with any of my counselees, guys or gals. I don't do, I, I, I'm not that. I want a big desk between me, see? That way if they take a swing at me, I, I got a little bit to dodge, okay? Uh, very, very different, okay? But the bottom line is, the father is going to take you up on his lap. He's going to rock you to sleep. He's not going to abandon you, and he's not going to give you more than you can handle. It feels like it. We think it, but it is not. And constantly when we look back, I think maybe the Lord's going to smile. You really thought I was killing you, didn't I? That was your biggest growth point, wasn't it? That was the big, that was the big. I'll tell you, this is just a, you know, probably the best place I've ever learned uh, I suffer with asthma is uh, trying to suck air and not getting it. Very, very humbling. Very, very humbling. And boy, oh boy, when you're, you're next to dead, you're not thinking great grandiose thoughts of yourself. You know, and, and I think in the midst of all of this, we need to decrease, and God's got multiple purposes. Why do we suffer? Uh, we could go on, that's a whole other uh, systematic theology. Paul, 2 Corinthians 2. He did this so we would comfort others with the comfort with which we've been comforted. In fact, he says it was so bad, he did this so we would depend on him that raised his people from dead. When we came into Asia Minor, Corinthians, we wanted you to know this. We came into Asia Minor, we are sure we're dead. Absolutely, totally convinced we had the sentence of death written in our bodies. We thought we were gone. Absolutely. But God did that so we wouldn't trust in ourselves, but him who raises the dead. And so we can comfort others with the comfort with which we have been comforted. God doesn't waste your suffering. And that's really, you know, what Peter is saying here. Uh, the suffering is there. Well, then he ends up the book, By Sylvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She was at Babylon, I think that's probably Jerusalem, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Now that's a quick bicycling through the book of First Peter. Where does it all end up? Worship of the triune God. Worshiping God, blessing others, and living through the the persecution. So I hope you can see this from the beginning of the triune God. He knows you. He sanctifies you. He sprinkles you with the blood of Christ. He gives you an inheritance that cannot be corrupted. Nobody can break into heaven and steal it. And he's going to preserve you so you get there. And this is such a wonderful inheritance that angels wanted to look into it. The prophets were all excited about this, trying to figure out who the Christ was. You get to know this. You've been born again to a living hope through the Word of God, and that's the Word that was preached to you, and it's that Word that makes you a prophet, priest, and king, puts you in the kingdom of God, and you're on Christ. He's the cornerstone. He's elect. You're elect in Him, and these other people are lost, and as you face these lost people that are trying to tear you to shreds, just remember whose you are. And that he will never leave you forsaken. And this is how you face the persecution. One, know that God loves you and will never forsake you. Two, God will do justice. He'll either save these people or he'll condemn them. But it's his call. And this is how you do this. Keep entrusting yourself to him who judges righteously. And then what? Go do good. Go do good. And God may be pleased to use that in the salvation of some of these people. And if not, certainly in their condemnation. So how we face persecution. Okay, I preached on this at our brother's church the, uh, this last weekend. But just another verse that goes with this. I, I've never heard a sermon on this. But uh, look at Philippians. Again, another great book for hope. Verse 27, only let your 
citizenship, okay, walk as a citizen, be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are what? This is the whole kind. Standing what? Firm in one spirit. You are one unit. You have one purpose, glorifying God. With one mind, striving side by side, literally shoulder to shoulder, for the faith of, faith of the gospel. Now again, there was a lot of ex-military guys in the, in the church at Philippi. Because Philippi was given a charter by Anthony and by Caesar you know, after they fought for them in the army. And Philippi had rights that no one had. So when he says, met your citizenship, you know, as a citizen of heaven, it rang up with them. And he's saying, look, what I want you to do is to stand as one unit. Now remember, he's, he's trying to get to chapter 4, where he's going to ding Euodicus and Syntyche. Now, talk about your morning worship service. This is a missionary letter, and boy, oh boy, would that be a shocker, right? Uh, dear Pastor Jones, I want you to help Mrs. Smith and, 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 you know, to get along with Susie because everybody knows they're fighting and they're just great warriors for the gospel. You know, so he's talking about this unit. And then he says what? Not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but your salvation and that from God. And I'll end with this and then you have a few minutes for questions. Don't we all, and I've said this before, we love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Yes. O king, live forever. Our God can, he will deliver us, but if he doesn't, we're not bound down to your statue. And we go, yes. Now that's somebody that's not frightened by their threatening. Get to the New Testament. Peter and John. Don't preach in the name of Jesus. And they go, this is a great one. Well, you figure out whether we should obey man or God. <laughs> it's a no-brainer. You know, we're not going to stop preaching the name of Jesus. And we go, yes. Now, why aren't they frightened? Because they know, guess what? God's in charge. He's going to take care of them. And this can get real practical. I might have mentioned it the other night, but uh, when I came to California, we were just counting them. Pittsburgh doesn't have eight lanes, you know, like we have here, you know what I mean? And... I used to get really upset when I first came here because somebody in a really nice car, I didn't have a nice car, but they, they'd make a six-lane switch to get off you know, at their exit instead of you know, going to exit out of the way and almost kill me. Well, God convicted me that I'd do some of the same things, so I'm not as good as I thought I was. And then the second thing was, I remembered one day, and this is literal, I remember God says, pray for them to despitefully use you. Bless them and don't curse. So I was at our, the, uh, then the IBCD, it was even before that, this was still CCF then, out in uh, the RP building out in, you know, 94. That's out where we were. And I had to go preach in Chula Vista, and I forgot my notes. At that time, I used notes. And so I, I went back and got them, and I'm, I'm going down 805 south, and the lane runs out, you know, and here comes this guy busting, and I know what he's going to try to do. He's going to try to bust me on the inside. I don't speed up, I don't slow down, so, and, and he has to swerve around me. And the guy flips. He gives me the bird. I think it was 30 seconds or whatever. He just says, give me the bird for half. And I'm thinking, whoa, this guy's going to go home and kick the dog or beat his wife or, or do something. And I start praying for him. I said, Lord, please, please don't let that guy get what he deserved. Don't let him have an accident. I think he's going to run into something. He's so upset. Please just... Please be extra kind to him, you know, whatever. Don't help him to calm down. Let him not do something at home. And then I had an effort. And Lord, if you want a, a highway patrolman to come along and give him a ticket, I'll say amen to that one, but that's your call. <laughs> you know, uh, bless him or blast him. That's up to you. It's not my call. My job is to pray for him. So give him blessings, okay? And I went and preached, and I had a clear conscience. But, uh, you know, again, that's minor Compare it, and I hope if I end up in jail for preaching Romans, you know, that I'll be able to bless those uh, that, that persecute me. Uh, because the bottom line is, I've been called to what? Give a blessing if I want to get a blessing. Okay? And I've already been given a blessing in the incredible gospel. And not just the gospel. I think we forget the gospel is about Jesus. 
I don't just get good news. I get him. And because I get him, I can give away grace because I didn't earn the grace. Okay, so we've got about five minutes before uh, it's the supper break and we're going to go. Questions you might want on the book particularly or, or in general, how to give hope and help to people who are really under you know, these kinds of pressures, whether it's uh, parents and kids, husbands and wives, uh, work or whatever, or even in a bad church situation where somebody might be abusing authority. Questions you might have before we go. We had lots of them in the little room. We had to ask questions because we're all sitting on top of each other. Yes, ma'am. Uh, let's look back real quickly. The question was, okay, um, where are we, we're in chapter 5 or back in 4? Oh, did I say five principles? Okay, maybe I gave you ten. I, I, I won't know a particular context, but, but yeah, just go chunk by chunk. And, and again, sitting down teaching this to somebody and then using it reflectively. You can use it the other way for rebuke and correction gently. But it's like, okay, uh, here's an example of how I failed in here. Did you perhaps fail with your wife and kids, you know? Here's an example how I failed in this, you know, possibly. Why don't you think it through this week, read this passage and see you know, maybe where you failed. Some will come back and go, I, I never even figured out whether I have speaking gifts or serving gifts. Okay, okay. That's one of the reasons why maybe you're so grumbling and complaining you know, with people in the congregation. Uh, nobody ever invites me over. That's a, that's a good one. Oh, oh, it doesn't say seek hospitality. It says give it. <laughs> When was the last time you invited somebody over? Well, they never invite me over. Okay. Cup of cold water in the name of Christ. I mean, come on. You can go out and get, you know, noodles. You know, just, you know, boil some water, throw the noodles in. It's not real resplendent. They may not want to come back again, but the, you fed them. You know, they not be saying, hey, that's the best place to go for good food. But the bottom line is you've given them a cup of, you know, noodles in the name of Christ. And, uh, you know, Go be hospitable. You know, go do something for someone. When was, the last time you, when was the last time you asked somebody at church, is there anything I can pray for you? you know, is there anything you're struggling with? You know, I like the old King James, provoking one another to love and good deeds. I'm good at the provoking part. Maybe not love and good deeds, but you know, hey, how do we provoke one another? I mean, ah, church is real provoking, okay? But not to love and good deeds. Uh, all these things put into practice will help people when they're under persecution. Because where do we need to get our eyes in every counseling case? God and others before it's on us. Okay. Okay, I'm not going to keep you long. It gets long. These, get, these, these conferences get real long. So I'm going to pray and let you go. If you have questions, come up and ask me, and uh, I'll uh, answer them before we take off uh, for supper. Lord God, you've ended this wonderful epistle with peace to all of you who are in Christ. Lord, you know that your children are here. You know those that are in Christ. And we pray that grace and peace will be multiplied to them. We thank you, O Lord God, that according to your foreknowledge and by the sanctification of the Holy Spirit for obedience to Christ and the sprinkling of his blood, that you have called us not only into your kingdom, but to serve others. Lord, help us to really grasp hold of the incredible grace that you let Peter, the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth, write the book on persecution. And he teaches us how to deal with it like Jesus. Something he didn't learn while he was with you. And yet, by your grace and your restoring at the Sea of Galilee and the pouring out of the Spirit at Pentecost, the nickel finally fell into place. And, and Peter didn't fight his way in fact, we're told, if history is correct, he felt so unworthy that he asked to be crucified upside down because he thought he was not worthy to die in the same manner as the Savior that he had um, denied. Please be with us. Help us to be good counselors. And Lord, as we study books of the Bible, Lord, may they begin to fall into place and may we begin to use them the way the authors uh, intended. 
And may, Lord, we become skilled uh, uh, understanders and appliers of the Word of God so that you may be exalted. Bless us and refresh us through supper, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Copyright 2014, IBCD, All Rights Reserved. More free resources are available at www.ibcd.org.